following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Today, I want to talk with you, and and again, I I give the disclaimer, I'm not a pastor, I'm the BCM director, so I get a little latitude on what I get to talk about. So today, we're going to do a topical study. We're going to to bounce around scripture. We're going to start in James, so if you want to move there, you can hold your finger on it. We're going to look in James, but then we're going to spill the banks of James, and we're going to get into some other stuff. Uh, The topic that I want to talk with you guys about, and really, you guys are the test subjects, I'm, I'm feeling out this topic. We're going to continue to develop it because we're coming into a, an important time in, in, in the, the, the natural lifespan of our country. Um, and what we're going to talk about is there's an election year coming up. I don't know if you guys have been under a rock for the last few election years, but you know that tensions have gotten high as of late when it comes to election years. Um, and what I'm not going to talk with you about today is, is any kind of political argument. I'm not giving you that. What I'm going to talk about today is how we speak with fellow man, is how we talk with each other. So let's look at James 3. And I think he's going to give us some wisdom. Uh, and then, like I said, we're going to bounce around to some other places. Uh, but let's start in James 3. And, and I'll read 1 through 10. Um, and then I'm going to pray for us. Uh, James 3, 1 through 10 says... Not many should become teachers, my brother, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, now hear this. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessings and curses coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this chance for us to come together. Um, God, thank you for this chance for us to look at Scripture. Lord, I pray that it's not my talk, it's, it's not anything about this, but it's just truth of Scripture coming out that you stick with us. God, I pray that every time we read the Bible, something speaks to something we're doing. Helps us to know how to handle interactions. Help us to know how to handle uh, conflict. Help us to know how to handle our neighbors. God, I pray that something in this speaks to people. Um, And God, that we can see what you'd have us to do. But thank you so very much. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So let's look at this real quick. James 3, what's he talking about? First, it starts off with a little bit of a positive, right? It starts off on a positive note, which there's not a lot of positive in this, but he starts off on a little bit of a positive note. In, and, and again, 
if, if we've never met, uh, one thing I love to do is I love to ask you guys questions. That's the only way I can keep the college students awake is if I get them asking them questions and have them answer. So y'all help me out. In verse 2, he describes a mature person. What is the marker of this mature person? In verse 2, well, no wrong answer here except for the ones that aren't right. Uh, what was it? No worries, no worries. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. What is a mature person? A believer, certainly, yeah. He's bright. What's that? Ooh, a man who's able to control his tongue. A person who's able to control what they're saying. If you could stop yourself from saying the things that are wrong, he says that is maturity. You're able not to use your mouth towards bad gain. That is maturity. If you're not tearing people down, that is maturity. If you're able to be a mouthpiece of God and God alone, that is maturity. Because then he describes a whole list of bad things that are the tongue, right? Look with me in 6. He says, what? The tongue is a fire. In fact, at the end of 6, he says it's a fire that was lit from hell. Wow. <laughs> and how about in verse 6 also, he calls it a stain. Everybody, you know, especially maybe it's just me with the kids. You know, you, you put on the nice clothes. Y'all sit, especially Sunday is a danger time because we sit down for lunch after church and then the kids start going crazy and we start intervening. And before I know it, I've got pizza all over my shirt, right? And you think, well, there's another for the work pile. That's great. Stain ruins the whole thing, right? And he calls the tongue a stain. In verse 8, he calls it a restless evil. Calls it a deadly poison. You know what? I think after reading this, about the only thing we can do is agree to a vow of silence, right? That's the point of today. So I hope you all have a good day. Let's just, I don't know how the last hymn's going to be, but it's, it's going to have to be a vow of silence. Or as I should say, I guess, hmm. No, perhaps that is what we should do, but no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that because we've also been gifted with the message of the gospel. Romans 1, uh, 10, 17 says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings, who preach good news. That verse I talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, where we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. As though God is making his appeal through us, we urge you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That comes out of this mouth. So then the question is, what do we do with it? What do we do especially when we see something that is wrong and we feel compelled to speak? How do we know when we're being too judgmental? How do we know when we're being evil with it? And how do we know when we're being beneficial with it? How do we change what James talks about into being that mouthpiece of grace? How do we do that? Well, if I left you at that cliffhanger, it'd be a setup for a letter one. But instead, we're going to try to look into some verses that'll hopefully add an answer for us. Uh, and and you can you can just trust me, or you can flip real quick. I think Paul covers this with a couple of great verses that we try to teach our students. First one is Ephesians four twenty nine. Ephesians four twenty nine says, "Let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only that which will build up, that which will impart grace to those who are hearing." 
that, that Greek word for unwholesome is the same Greek word Jesus uses when he talks about rotten fruit. Let no rotten fruit come from your mouth. And I love it. The point of it is that when we speak to people, they should be built up. And they should receive grace. Paul says it even more clearly in Colossians 4, 6. He says, let your speech be full of grace as though seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. When I teach this to my students, this is the one that they more readily identify with. In fact, I'll hear the same refrain from most every student when we try to memorize this one. Oh, don't you worry, Conan. My speech is full of salt. My speech is salty, Conan. Don't you worry about that. That is not what Paul is saying here. (laughs) He's saying let the grace that's in your speech be salty. How many of y'all have been into a meal Someone's prepared and and someone you love, but their gift is not cooking. You bite into the meal and you think, they did not use a single grain of salt in the preparation of this meal. Right? You think, oh, this is good. Can I have that salt shaker real quick? Or I guess more appropriately here is, can you pass the Tony's? Uh, right? You know what I'm talking about. That piece of meat that just has never had a piece of salt touch it is just not memorable. It's not good. Instead, he says, let your conversation be full of grace and let that grace just be like salt, that it makes it memorable. It makes it good. When our speech is characterized in such a way, people will enjoy talking to us, not try to get away from as fast as possible. And I thought it was important. I I, I looked it up. What does grace mean? I'm going to ask you guys, even though I know the answer. I'm going to ask you guys, because I'm interested to hear what you guys think. What does grace mean? We've now heard mentioned by Paul twice that it needs to pervade our talk, that it needs to come out of us subconsciously. But what is grace? Ooh, that's a good one. You're absolutely right. Undeserved. Something we shouldn't have. What else? What's another characteristic of grace? Or what is grace? Caring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anybody else? Remember, no wrong answers. Except for the ones that aren't right. It's a blessing from God. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, all three of y'all combined together. That is the definition. It's unmerited blessing from God that leads to growth, that leads to spiritual renewal, that leads to regeneration. When we speak, get that now, when we speak, people should hear unmerited blessing from God that leads to spiritual growth. They need to hear more than just a placard of why they're going to hell. We can't be so quick with our criticism or, or those people who constantly tell you, and, and I know you probably all have one in the family, oh, I can't help it, honey, I just got to speak the truth, right? And, and then everything they say is like a critique, right? To where you start to try to avoid them at the family table. You sit on the opposite end. Oh, I just can't help it. I got to always speak the truth. In truth, those people should be able to help it because they give very little sugar with their pronouncements, Right? Very little grace with what they're saying. We've got to be more than just a placard for why people are going to hell. We've got to help them see grace. We've got to help them receive that with the things that we say.
Does that mean that we change the truth? Does that mean we water down the truth? Does that mean we don't call something wrong that's wrong? You know, when we look at, we look at Scripture, we see the word rebuke used many times. In fact, just in the pastoral epistles, these are the ones Paul wrote to the individuals that he had helped disciple that were about to be pastors, we see a constant exhortation to rebuke sin, to rebuke the things that are wrong. In fact, often in conjunction with, instead of denying the truth, rebuke those that are, or when they deny the truth, rebuke those that do so. We also, when you look at the life of Jesus, we see that he at times spoke harshly to people, right? Famously, I remember the woman at the well. Remember he sat down with her and he started to challenge her on her spiritual beliefs. And then he also challenged her with the things that she was doing in her life. Remember he said, why don't you invite your husband to come speak? And, and she says, well, I'm not, I'm not married. And he says, well, I know you're not married. You're not married to the man you're living with now. And you've been married about three times before that also. Why would he, why would he say that? Would that not be viewed as harshly to her? How about when he was speaking to religious leaders and he said, you brought a vipers. A little sharp as well, a little bit of a rebuke. My argument to you, and at all times we should strive to be like Jesus. So I, I don't want you to hear that. I don't want you to hear from Conan that we just gloss over things that are wrong. I don't want you to hear that. But my argument to you is that Jesus was both grace and truth. In fact, that's what it says in John 1.17. It says that Jesus was grace and truth. And he uses, the, the writer of John, John, he uses that in juxtaposition right afterwards saying that Moses brought the law. But Jesus was grace and truth. That he preternaturally knew that that woman at the well needed to hear that in order to be spurred on to a better place. That he needed to challenge the religious authorities because they had access to truth and they were still not living it out. That Jesus embodied that principle of speaking grace because he literally was going to die for those people. The, one, of, one of my favorite stories, especially when we're looking at Jesus, um, and, and, and bear with me here, is, is in Luke 8. Um, and this is a, a famous story. I'm sure you've heard it as well. Luke 8, so towards the end of it, 43, 48. Uh, we have Jesus. He's, 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 um, he's, he's been preaching. There's a huge crowd. Uh, there's people all around him. He's done some healings. It's really popular. And we have a, a synagogue ruler um, has come and said, listen, my daughter is really, really sick. You've got to come with me. Um, and his name was Jairus. And, and in fact, his daughter would go on to pass away while Jesus is walking. But she, he says, you've got to come with me. And Jesus says, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. And so they start walking. And while they're walking, it says a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years thinks in her head, man, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be made well. If I could just get a hold of it, things are going to be better. And so she, 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 she gets her way through the crowd. She pushes. She does whatever she can. And as he goes by, she just barely touches it. And sure enough, she's healed. And it says Jesus knows something happened. He turns around, who touched me? Now, again, we're going to expound a lot. That's what pastors are for. Uh, we're going to expound a lot on a little here, uh, looking at what happened here. She would have been ritualistically unclean. Because of her medical condition, she would have been excluded from almost any part of community life within that group. And for a group that saw 
community as so sanctimonious, she was really in a hurting way. In fact, it's probably not a stretch to say she'd been abandoned by her family, she'd been abandoned by her friends, she'd been abandoned by her synagogue, she'd been abandoned by everybody because she was unclean. And in fact, if you touched someone who was unclean, you were made unclean. I mean, think about her life. She lived without having physical contact with people because they thought she was dirty. And she touched Jesus. Now, he could have turned around and identified her as being someone unclean. He could have turned around and fussed at her for doing what she did. In fact, he could have turned around and challenged her on her theology. She thought, if I just touch the robe, I'm going to be cured. She was way wrong. But what was the one thing Jesus said to her with his words, with his chants, when his mouth opened, what did he call her? If anyone who turned to that particular story, he called her daughter. I can't emphasize enough to you guys the power of that word. Someone who'd been excluded, maybe abandoned by her family, abandoned by any chance of people loving her because she was dirty to have this, this, Religious leader who just helped her be cleansed to turn around and the first thing out of his mouth was daughter. Study the scriptures. He doesn't call people daughter and son very much. But he called her daughter because it's what she needed to hear. If we're going to strive to be like Jesus, we need to understand where people are coming from. And we've got to speak in such a way that they receive Grace from the words that we use. In this next year, I challenge you, there will be people that you strongly disagree with. One side of the political spectrum to the other, there are going to be people that you disagree with. I want to challenge you with the way that you speak to them and what you choose to say when the opportunity arises. Are you burning bridges for people to hear the gospel because of the way we're going to argue about one issue or the the next? If there's any hill that I want to die on, it is the hill of Jesus Christ. It is the hill of Christ saving us. It is the hill of me being a sinner and Christ causing my sins to be forgiven. I don't know that the way anyone votes is a hill that I want to die on. It's not saying you have to abandon participation in democracy. It's not saying you have to abandon uh, opinions on positions. What I am just challenging you with is to be careful with the way that you engage fellow man, fellow woman in conversation. That principle we just read in James at the very end of it said, what, with our mouth we praise our Lord and Father in heaven and with it we curse those who are created in the image of God. The reason that all of humankind is worthy of our respect and worthy of our consideration is because they have been created in the image of God. And by us taking a step back, by us causing a pause, by us just thinking for a second, how do I want to speak to this person? We give glory to their maker in heaven even if we don't agree with the things that they've been doing. And that, again, does not mean an abandonment of the truth. There was a a good friend of mine, 
I knew him for a long time. Um, he uh, was when I was working in Virginia to BCM. Uh, he was in Virginia as well, although he was he's originally from Texas. Um, but but he had he had gotten himself married, and then he'd gotten into a little bit of trouble. He was doing some things that he should not have, um, and and he would come out to see me, um, and he would sit down with me, and we would spend hours together. Now this is someone that I had I had good feelings for. This was someone that we'd spend a lot of time with, um, and I can tell you that. In no way in our conversations did I tell him, you are right for doing the things that you're doing, and you should continue on. Instead, on a regular basis, I told him, you know this isn't right, man. You know this is not the path you should be on. You know that what you're doing is not what God wants. But I had that credibility with him because I loved him as a friend and as a brother. And so he sat with me for hours hearing this. Whereas if I didn't have that credibility, I don't think he would have let me speak that at all. Would I have been wrong if the first time I ever met him, I'd have told him, you're probably going to be a sinner and you're going to do terrible things later on? I would not have been wrong. But I certainly wouldn't have been right. Yes, let's call out sin when we see sin. Let's never change the metric by which we rate something as good or bad with God. But the way in which we do it, let's do it so that they receive grace from hearing it. So that they have the ability to change. In uh, I'm gonna finish up. I'm almost done. The in, in one one of my least favorite books when I was a little kid, but now I appreciate more and more the older I get. John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. How many people were forced to read that as a kid? Not many. Oh man, listen, it's it's not an easy read, is what I'm gonna say. If you leave here and say, well, that guy talked about it, I should check it out. It's not an easy read. It's a, basically an allegory of of a Christian living their life, and and he's doing this travel. He's traveling through all these circles, and 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 he runs into these characters, and they're supposed to represent people that he meets in real life. Um, and John Bunyan, this was written a long time ago. He uh, he decided to to not waste his time with things like character names. So, for instance, the the main person in the book is named Christian. Uh, he's the uh, husband of Christiana. Uh, and, and as he meets these individuals, they're named what we're supposed to take away from them. So, for instance, he meets Faithful at one point, And Faithful walks with him for a long ways. And Faithful ends up setting an example for him in the way in which he ends his life uh, or his life is taken from him. But while Faithful and Christian are walking together, they come across someone called Talkative Christian. And John Bunyan didn't like this guy. Uh, and Talkative Christian said all the right things. They, they talked about God. They talked about him being there. They talked about why he's there, why it's important. But they also knew that his life didn't match up with some of the things that he said. And, and at one point, Faithful looks over to Christian and says, how do we get rid of this guy? And again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a, uh, a book that was written several hundred years ago. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, how do we get rid of this guy? And Christian looks at Faithful and says, talk about grace. And he turns to talkative Christian he says, how do you think grace manifests itself in your heart? How does it grow in your heart? How do you discover it in your heart? And talkative Christian says, because it compels you to speak out against sin. Talkative Christian is not wrong for answering that way. But I don't think he's complete in answering it that way. Because I think there's got to be grace involved. Guys, we're coming up on an, uh, an important time in the U.S. Um, and the more and more in which we hate fellow man, we disagree with fellow man, and the more we denounce fellow man, I think we, we head down a road that perhaps we shouldn't be on as Christians. 
there will be inflamed rhetoric used in the next year. Uh, and it will be exciting passions on both sides uh, to a fevered pitch if, any, if the last election is any indication of what will happen this election. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we are voices of moderation. That we are uh, a peaceful reprieve for these kinds of talks. And that if we meet someone and we disagree with everything they are saying, the very life they are choosing to live, I pray that we take just a step. We practice what James 1, 19 and 20 says, in which it says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That instead of responding with, well, you're wrong and you're wrong for this, 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 we instead respond with, well, do you know Jesus? Do you know what Christ intends for you? Do you know what Christ has done for me? We can't expect people who are spiritually dead to act like they're spiritually alive. And we're wrong for condemning them and expecting them to do that. So my challenge for you this week, one thing I like to do when I, when I talk to you guys is to give you a concrete challenge. My challenge for you this week is one person, could be a family member, could be a neighbor, could be a coworker. One person this week is someone that you could speak to to give them some grace. Maybe it's even someone who's done some wrong to you. And your measure of grace would be to tell them that they're forgiven. Maybe it's a neighbor who you know is going through a hard time and you want to make a plate of cookies and go over and sit down with them and just talk about the hope that there is in Christ. Maybe it's a family member where things have been rocky every single Thanksgiving coming to blows over political views. And you just want to call and ask about how their kids, ask about how their home is, ask about how their job is, and leave them with some message of Christ. Who is one person that you could speak to this week that you could speak in such a way that they leave it saying, man, that was great that I had that conversation. And then I challenge you to take the next step and contact them whether it involves walking across the street or picking up the phone, I challenge you to chat with them. And I think the world will be a better place as a result of such a resolve. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much that we have these examples we can look at in Scripture. God, I thank you so much that Jesus was grace and truth. God, what a, what a position, what a mixture God, we need both of those so very much. And Jesus personified it. And he acted it out day in and day out with the things that he said and the way that he loved people. God, help us to strive to be that. God, help us to to hear what James says, the warnings he has about the tongue. Help us to remember that each person is created in the image of God. God, help us to be slow to speak and slow to anger, quick to hear. God, we thank you so very much. We look forward to seeing what these things are going to accomplish this week. Put on our hearts one person, one person that we could talk to. And Lord, help us to see the faith to see it done. Lord, thank you so very much. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.